0: So, August 24th, 2006, we all remember that day, right? It changed all of our lives. August 24th, 2006. The day that Pluto was kicked out of our solar system. That was the day that the international who's who of the space community... Demoted Pluto. We all remember that day. It changed our lives. Pluto's been a planet since 1930. All of us remember this growing up, learning the solar system, memorizing Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. And then you did solar system science projects and there was styrofoam involved and you drew pictures of the solar system on your little papers to memorize the order of the planets. You all remember that. And then they came along. 10,000 astronomers voted to change the classification of planets and Pluto was... Kicked out of, the, out of the solar system as a planet. And um, it was a sad, sad day. But in International Astronomical Union Hot Goss, of February of this year, 2021, Dr. Alan Stern, a planetary scientist who leads NASA's uh, uh, Horizons mission, he was speaking at the I Heart Pluto Festival... You all got your invites. I know you know exactly what I'm referring to. He spoke at the iHeart Pluto Festival. And he said, Dr. Alan Stern said, it is a planet. And that the 2006 vote was arbitrary, political, and undermined science. Now, I know a lot of preachers don't want to go near this kind of content. But I could not stay silent on this. And the reason is because we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is repeatedly showing us two ways to live and what we orbit our lives around. And repeatedly through his sermon, he is zeroing in, asking us provocative questions so that we can ask ourselves whether or not we are orbiting around God or orbiting around something else. And this morning is no exception as we look at Matthew chapter six, because orbiting, you know, centering, that's what worship is. Worship is, worship is. I mean, we love to sing, and oh my goodness, hasn't it been amazing to hear each other's voices? Because it's been like, even if the person sitting next to you is terrible and tone deaf, you're just like, mm, bring it to me. Just sing more of that good gospel into my soul. You don't even care. Uh, it doesn't matter. Because we love to hear the, the praises. But singing, singing is part of worship. But that's not all of worship is. Otherwise we'd say, oh, it's great to worship again. We haven't worshiped since 2020, which is not true because worship is centering. And Jesus is provoking us to look at what we center our lives around. Matthew chapter six, I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 24. It's there for you in your bulletin. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven cannot serve God in money. This is God's word. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us two ways to live. Two ways to relate to prayer. Two ways to relate to the poor. Two ways to think about giving to the needy. Two ways to think about our, uh, our, our spiritual lives. Two ways to think about forgiveness. Two ways to uh, think about... Um, uh, two ways to think about how, what our lives are being built on. That's where this whole sermon goes. in here... True to the pattern of the Sermon on the Mount, he gets us to look at choice between two treasures, choice between two visions, and choice between two masters. That's what we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning. Have a choice between two treasures. He says, don't lay, up, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. <clears throat> and uh, the emphasis being on what we're storing up. Uh, In the Greek, it kind of reads, it's like a literary play on words. It's like, don't treasure the treasure. Um, And the reason that we're being provoked here is um, not because material and this earth and all the beautiful things that we get to enjoy are bad. Um, You know, if you have have any friends who are Buddhist, and they, if they are devout Buddhist, I don't mean nominal Buddhist, but I mean, if they're devout Buddhists, then they have a a real conviction about detachment. And their way of escaping suffering is not to attach to anything. They're like, well, because, you know, when, when, when uh, Buddha sat under the tree and he had his vision after he walked and he saw the poor man, the sick man, the dead man, the, uh, you know, the lonely man, I, for, I forget how uh, all of the distinctions of that, but he was so deeply moved that one of the conclusions that he came to on the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment was detach, that's the way that you don't feel pain. So detach. So is Jesus really just saying the kind of the same sort of thing? Detach. Don't care about material things. Don't, t- don't care about beauty. Don't care about beautifying your home or your property. Don't care about fashion. Don't care about uh, the, th- the things that are of interest to you. You know, a life of anti-materialism looks like all of us basically just having personalities that slowly turn beige. I just realized if your favorite color was beige, I just offended you. I'm so sorry. Um, But this is not what he's after. It's not that material is bad. Um, We've got a God who created all things. The material world is good. Our God came and he manifested in Jesus, in human flesh, because the material world is good and he's going to restore it. The resurrection of Jesus, being physical and bodily and human, is significant because it means that the goal of, uh, of God's gospel in the Bible is the restoration of the material. Well, the problem is, of course, not the material. Uh, Tish Warren is a, a, an Anglican uh, priest, and she's a, the uh, author of, of just a beautiful book called um, Prayers in the Night that I finished this summer, or earlier, this summer, wow, that was fast, uh, the spring. And um, and she said something really beautiful in there. She said, you know, God saw fit that for 30 years, Jesus would make things. That for 30 years, he would spend his life, uh, the maker of heaven and earth being a maker. This glorious dignity given to vocation, the things that we do with our hands. right? Martin Luther, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the during the time of the Reformation, he said, you know, Christians don't do good work by putting little crosses on shoes. The Christian cobbler does good work by making great shoes. And so the problem is not with the material. That's not what Jesus is after. We already know where this is headed because he said it. The problem is that if we don't treasure the ultimate, if we don't orbit around our God, if we don't orbit around Jesus, we will definitely orb around, orbit around something else, very small, very temporal, and we will make it ultimate. And so to store up treasures on earth, he gives this image, a provocative image of rust and moths eating things. To treasure it is to doom our souls to this a life of discontentment, constant discontentment uh, and fear. And we even understand as moderns here in... in uh, in, uh, in the West that um, one, of the, one of the jobs of the skilled marketer is to tell a narrative and to get you to see yourself in that narrative. Some of you may be involved in marketing so you understand that you don't just say, hey, here's the product, do you wanna buy it? You are really crafting a narrative and helping that individual see themselves successful in this particular uh, narrative and thereby they, they, they are buying into um, not just a, a, you know, a, a product, but a, a lifestyle that comes with that. And so it's, a very, uh, it's the skilled art of storytelling. It's the skilled art of narrative. It's the skilled art of inviting the listener in to see themselves in, uh, in the narrative. And so what Jesus gives here for the person that's drowning in materialism is a narrative. And the narrative is um, you're going to be in chronic discontent. Uh, in the same way that e- even uh, trivial things like uh, the phone in your pocket has planned obsolescence. I mean, we, the, the moment that that one was released, they've already planned the next one uh, or the next few. It's planned obsolescence. It's planned uh, discontentment. This is how um, th- this is how part of commerce just works this way. Uh, nobody says, well, we're just going to design a car and hopefully you'll drive it for 25 years and then we'll, we'll see you again at the dealership in 25 years. This is not how we function as Westerners. And so Jesus is saying, you treasure the wrong thing, chronic discontentment and uh, you know, chronic fear. The discontentment, not only because uh, of what I just said about the sort of the obsolescence of the things that we s- sort of make ultimate in our life, but they fade. There's a diminishing return. And uh, so what we end up having to do because of this chronic discontentment is add to cart, add to cart, add to cart, add to cart. And it doesn't matter whether you're a person of tremendous wealth or a person in tremendous debt, but if discontentment is driving our lives, um, we're going to want that next jolt of dopamine to our system and we're going to be adding to cart. But fear is another uh, byproduct of the, of the rust uh, and the moth destroying when we orbit our lives around the material. And this, is, again, is not because beauty is, is bad and wrong and the material is bad and wrong. Uh, these are, these are uh, glorious gifts that, that um, actually, in many ways... A representative, our desire for beauty is representative of the fact we're made in the image of God, the great maker who created beauty. So the problem is the orbit. And so the fear comes in because Jesus is provoking us to see that really what we're orbiting around and what we're trusting in, um, if we're orbiting around the accumulation of wealth and comfort, there's always threats to the wealth. There's always threats to the comfort. Um, or there's, the, there's the, the, the possibility of us losing the ability to enjoy the wealth, or enjoy the comfort. I mean, we know people who are trading all of their health to get wealth, and we all know people who would trade all of their wealth to get health. And many of us sitting here, my, my, what a catch. Many of us sitting here, myself included, have been on both of those sides of the equations killing ourselves to get wealth or being willing to trade whatever wealth we had in order for our physical bodies to have health, And so Jesus is saying, you know, you've got to watch, watch the orbit and give careful attention to this uh, because at the bottom, where this whole sermon is going, where it's going to conclude is what are you building your life on, the rock or the sand? And then Jesus goes, P.S. I'm the rock. Like thats He's, he's, he's bringing us to this place um, to ask ourselves the question when we lay our heads down on the pillow at night How do we finish this sentence? I know I'm okay because... What is the answer to that? See, at this portion of the sermon, he's provoking that some of us would say, I know I'm going to be okay because there's money in the bank. I know I'm okay because there's investments. I know I'm okay because I got a good job. I got tenure. I got salary. I know I'm okay because there's a bonus coming. Jesus is poking at us To ask ourselves the question, is the answer to me knowing that I'm okay, something that (laughs) the rust and the moth are going to be destroyed? Something that is ultimately not going to be lasting? Or is the answer, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, I know I'm going to be okay. Because I'm a child of God. Because my life is in God's hands. He will care for me. He will provide for me. He will lead me. He will comfort me. He will strengthen me. He will, even if everything burns to the ground, he will resurrect me. My God, my life is in the hands of my God. This is what he's poking at. Treasures on earth contrasted with the treasures in heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul makes use of this wisdom in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. And it's a beautiful phrase. The godliness with the contentment. That's what Jesus is pointing at. Uh, If we're storing up the treasure, if we're accruing it and building up the wealth for the purpose of feeling like we're safe and secure in this temporal world of ours, um, there's no contentment. And so it's very tempting at this point uh, as you read this text to diagnose ourselves for about five minutes and be like, you know what, Um, I don't have this problem because I'm not wealthy. There, problem solved. I could have taken Sunday off. Why am I here in this, in this humid tent hearing about not trusting in wealth when I don't have any wealth? Here's the funny thing about that. Many of us who do not have wealth obsess in orbit around the idea of getting wealth because therein is the, therein is the, the security of one day when I attain this wealth, everything is going to be okay. When I, when I open up the spreadsheets and I know that I can live from now until, you know, 95 and I'm going to have all the money in the bank that I need and then everything's going to be okay. And as soon as all those spreadsheets balance, it's all going to be good. And you don't have to have any wealth to orbit around that kind of wayward trust. Now, we know that uh, globally speaking, all of us are incredibly wealthy. I mean, insanely wealthy. I hope you know that. If you don't know that, let me just let you know. There's like a few billion people in the world. But if they don't like the temperature, they don't get to like walk over and like turn a dial and get like the climate the way that they want it. You understand? I mean, that, that doesn't even, it not even register on our radar. Uh, you know, some of you have been places like I've been places where it's like, okay, it's time to get water and it's like a few hours out of your day, right? So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for what you have. I'm just trying to draw you in to recognize when Jesus preached this, he was not preaching to a hillside Of wealthy people. Who is this original audience? They were not all sitting there on their thrones. Bring me some more grapes as I listen to this great teacher. And bring me a goblet of something cool and refreshing. That's not who he was preaching to. Jesus was preaching about not trusting in wealth to a bunch of people who were probably like, Um, (laughs) are you listening to this guy? That's not how they sounded in Israel, by the way. Are you getting a load of this guy? (laughs) This Jesus is telling me not to... They were poor. And yet Jesus gives these words. So what we don't want to do is diagnose ourselves in five minutes and say, I don't have a problem with this. Because all of us at some point have a problem with this. If you have wealth, if you are wealthy, then you know that the, 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 the temptation and the challenge for you is um, tremendous. You know that it's tremendous. Because... The reason why throughout the New Testament, money gets talked about more than anything is because it's like the go-to for security. It's the go-to for the orbit. It's like the go-to for this is why I know my life is okay. Because I did the math and we're going to be okay until I can retire. Like that's the go-to. So Jesus is constantly going after this and, uh, and, and, and speaking about it. And so if you have wealth, you know how difficult this is. That's why Jesus said it's easier for... The camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Because the rich are well insulated, right? And this is, I mean, many of us, uh, globally speaking, are rich, but I mean, even in, in, in uh, the context of Western, you know, South, Southwestern Ontario, if we're rich, we are well insulated. Right? We can go through this pandemic and be like, oh, is there a pandemic I hadn't noticed? Well insulated. Incredibly insulated. I'm not trying to guilt you for your wealth. I'm provoking you to make sure. Let's all, let's all go before God and be like, oh Lord, may I not orbit around this wealth. May this not be the reason why I lay my head and bed and say everything's going to be okay because of this. And so Jesus goes on to say where your, uh, where your treasure is, that's where, that's where your heart is. It's located in the same place. So he's ultimately calling us to this tremendous trust transfer. He talks about how the material treasures, you know, the rust and the moth is going to destroy them, but we store up treasures in heaven. And that seems really ethereal and out there. This stuff's going to last for forever. What does that mean? I mean, the good that God does when, when, our, when, our, when our hands are, have a loose hold on our money and the things that we use our finances for, you know, we give generously for the work of the gospel. That, in a sense, there is, an, there is an eternal work there because the lives that are changed as a result of that Around the world, here in our city, these are these are uh, these are eternal uh, things, treasures that last for forever. All of the work that God does in you and I, you know, as we learn to not orbit and trust and worship the wealth, and we are free to give it to help uh, those in need. As we're able to do that, the work that God does in us, as a result, that treasure is eternal. This beautiful, glorious, ongoing sanctification, and you and I—that's eternal, that's never ending. This beautiful picture. For where the treasure is there, the heart will be also. So after he talks about these two treasures, he moves on to talk about the two visions. He says, you know, if your eye is good, if, if your eye is full of light, the whole body is good. If the eye is dark, the whole body is full of darkness. Two visions. Um, the idea of this good eye being generous, being single-minded. And, um, and the vision is, you know, how we see. Uh, how we see our finances. How we see the material world. Um, being single-minded, uh, you know, in worship to Jesus and being generous. Um, This is the light that comes into our lives. And without it, what Jesus says is, it's not just one part of my life. Oh, we're only talking about finances. That's just one part of my life, Paul. There's lots of parts of my life. And here you are, you're spending a whole sermon talking about this one part of my life. But Jesus said, it's not just one part of your life that goes dark. Jesus goes, the eyes dark. And the context, the immediate context for the hermeneutic lovers among us, the media context, he's talking about money. He's like, oh, by the way, while we're talking about money and orbiting around the material, that has an impact on the whole, whole life. The whole life goes dark. Jesus uses this picture of the vision. It's because the way we see people is different. The way we see uh, uh, our, our role in the city is different. I mean, everything's different. The vision, the whole vision is totally different. We end up, you know, kind of miserly, uh, piling up money and toys like squirrels, uh, you know, storing their nuts and uh, it just becomes like that in 2014 uh, I had the privilege of being in Ethiopia and uh, one of the guys said something I'm never gonna forget it for the rest of my life we were just you know doing some work in this one area and uh, he um, and he turned to me and he said I just wish people would live simply and then he points to this situation we're dealing with. He goes, this is what he says. I just wish some people would live simply so that other people could simply live. And I just was like, oh man. Now, we live on planet Earth and that's a glorious dream and that's amazing. We know that that's not reality. But I believe that he just touched on something of the heart of the gospel. Where Jesus is not anti Beauty. You're not asking us all to go home today, sell our houses and live in cardboard boxes. But what there, so, but what there is is a simplicity and a contentment that I think that you and I can uh, be liberated by. As opposed to just constantly clicking add to cart. Because there's just no amount of shiny things makes us happy. Exactly. This is what Jesus is getting at. The two visions to just affect the whole way to live. And so he gives this picture of the whole body being uh, affected one way or the other with this gospel lens or this lens of, of darkness. But there is this, this peace and this confidence and this enjoyment and this contentment right here and right now that comes from this uh, generosity when this vision of the gospel, of trusting in Jesus, our lives in the hands of God, the maker, you know, that just comes and, and gives us great rest. Because that phrase, you know, treasures in heaven... Can can kind of be a bit of a yawner if we don't really understand heaven, and I know I I've, I hammer this all the time. I'm going to hammer it one more time for the, the benefit of those of you who may be new or new to the scriptures. Heaven is not this ethereal place that we just sort of fly off to and spend eternity. It's not. That's Plato talked that way. Plutarch talked that way. The New Testament writers never talked that way, and the whole entire early church of the first probably. A thousand years of church history never talked that way. About Christians just zapping out of here and going to this place called heaven. The spoiler alert at Revelation 21, the physical resurrection of Jesus is that heaven is the renewal of what God intended in the beginning. It's the picture that Susan showed to the kids this morning, the full circle, the renewal of all things, where the realm of God and the realm of man meet again. It is this, this earth with the glorious mountains and lakes and rivers, the ingenuity of humanity. Can you imagine a world... Where we use all of our ingenuity to benefit and profit humanity. If we all just put our guns down and we took a few trillion dollars and we just poured it into caring for the poor and infrastructure, and the, can you just ima- we can't imagine it. We can't imagine it. But this is the restoration of all things. Heaven is not some consolation prize for muscling through. Heaven is not like grit your teeth until Jesus comes back and we just muddle through it and drag our knuckles. Heaven is the restoration of... It is what the deepest longings of humanity are. Oh, I wish I had a body that didn't break down. That's what's coming. Oh, I wish we lived in a world of unity and love and, 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 and glorious uh, innovation, use of technology for the betterment of humanity without any of this greed and travesty. That's what's coming. It's the restoration of everything that we want. So when Jesus talks about laying up our treasures in heaven, it's not some sort of lame enterprise. When I was a child and people talked about heaven... And it was, you know, cupids and, and arrows and bathrobes and halos. And I was like, I don't want to go to heaven. I kind of like earth. I can think of 20 things I want to do right. Uh, uh, I can think of 20 things I want to do right now before I go to heaven. Because heaven sounds like a downgrade from this experience. But The good news of the gospel is that it is humanity restored. Jesus is the perfection of humanity. So that's why Jesus is like, you lay your treasures up in heaven. Look, this life isn't all there is. God is, God is hitting a glorious reboot here. And, he's, and even though none of us deserve it, by the grace of Jesus, those of us who are united to him will receive it. Which leads to the final thing, the choice between two masters. That's where this whole thing is headed, of course. That's where all Jesus' sermons are headed, of course. It's not really about the money and the material wealth as much as it is using that to get to this. Who's your master? No one can serve two masters. He'll hate one and love the other. And what Jesus is provoking is it's not like having two jobs. Oh, I got this job and I kind of work for this guy and I got this job over here. Oh, and I worship Jesus and I come to church on Sundays and so my Sunday morning checkbox is checked. Check! So I'm serving God and I give money to the church and I'm volunteering and I'm involved. All right, Paul talked about uh, possibility of supporting refugees in a, in a really beautiful, deep way. I'm going to get involved in that, so check. I'm going to check that box. But also over here, really what wakes me up in the morning is making sure that my life is secure, making sure that I've got wealth, making sure that... Really, when I wake up in the morning, I'm bored. i got to click Add to Cart. Jesus is saying, it's not like having two jobs. It's having two people who are claiming property over your life. You've got the Lord, the Maker, saying, you're mine. And then you've got money and materialism saying actually you're mine actually you belong to me actually all of your waking energy and all of your waking moments is consumed with how to accrue more of me because after all i am your security me the god of mammon some translations say mammon this idea of wealth personified right and jesus goes it's impossible because they're both laying claim on your life and you're not serving both of them it's impossible So it's really, really provocative. Everything that Jesus is pointing at here. And the question is really, is Jesus our loving master or is the pursuit of material security this terrible taskmaster? And I have good news I'm going to close this sermon on because we need some really good news. And before I give that really good news, can I just encourage those of you who are students, those of you who are very young, you might not even have part-time jobs or maybe you do, I want to encourage you to develop pattern in your life of generosity and giving. If you have these sporadic paychecks where I don't get paid and I have a babysitting job, I want to encourage you. Your parents are probably already encouraging you to do this. But I want to encourage you when that money comes in to not look at that money and go, oh, thank goodness, I finally have some money and squirrel it away. The reason is because you're going to develop a pattern of participating in trusting and orbiting around the wrong thing. Because the cultural narrative is nobody has enough money. I don't know who the person is in this church that makes the most money. But whoever that person is, according to the culture, you don't have enough money. The conversation is none of us have enough money. The conversation is students are broke. You're broke. Student debt, you're broke. So I want to encourage you. When that money comes in, you take some of that money. Right? You give it to uh, the church for the work of the preaching of the gospel. You give it to the poor. You make a donation to the poor. You care for uh, those at St. John's Kitchen. You do something with it. Right? You can, we do all those th- things here. Or you can give it directly to them. But you just take some of it, and as soon as you give it, let that little exercise remind you, actually, this thing is not my Lord. This is not my Lord. I already have a king, and it's not you. So I just want to encourage you. Even those of you who feel like, I have no money, I can't do that. Because otherwise the pattern is going to be orbiting around the last thing. And I close with this, the good news. Our king, he left unfathomable wealth and comfort and security and the joy of his divinity. And he came into the poverty of clothing himself in our frail humanity. He came and he lived the perfect, loving, and obedient life that you and I are not living. He went to the cross and he died for our sin because you and I have sinned in this exact way. We have orbited around the wrong thing. We have went to bed at night. Everyone in here, starting with this preacher, we've gone to bed at night because something good financially happened and we said, oh, thank God, little G God, that money that just came in. Everything's gonna be okay because of that. We've all done it. We've all clicked add to cart, not because we needed something new and not because there's something wrong with beauty, but because we're bored and we're discontented. Because our lives are orbiting around the wrong thing. We've all done it. And our Jesus, he went to the cross and he died for you and I. And he paid the price for our sin of orbiting around the wrong thing. He rose again on the third day. His resurrection reminds us that humanity will be restored for all of eternity. And may our hearts get gripped by this gospel, because until our hearts are gripped by this gospel, it's going to be very difficult to not orbit around materialism. Jesus Christ, our King, good news, church, He did not store up and heap power for Himself. He did not store up comfort for Himself. He did not store up wealth for Himself. He did not store up prestige for Himself. Our king, he emptied himself and now united to him, full of his spirit. May you and I continually trust him, be imitators of of him. Generously empty ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your gospel. Would you continue the work you've begun in us here, church, O God. Renew us and restore us, we pray. And we find our hope and our rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.